with the reopening, yes, you will see there's areas, but we're going to get everybody back to work. Areas what? Areas where people will die? How many will die? Do you give a damn, Steve Mnuchin? Just ask. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, up in Seattle on KODX, Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every single day for you. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week. At least, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you much, uh, very much for joining us today, for joining me and the delightful Desiree Doyen. Hello, Desiree. How are you? <laughs> I am here. Well, finally, that's all that we can ask <laughs> that's, for. That's all we can expect uh, these Finally, uh, it's a day in which the economic news actually actually make some sense and i think that's mostly good news uh even though the economic news is bad uh just let me get yes g- give me explain? a chance to explain <laughs> here uh we have been reporting on the seemingly insane disparity between what the economy is actually doing versus what Wall Street and the stock market have been doing uh, for several weeks now as the major indexes on the stock exchange have been soaring irrationally even as the real economic picture continues to be terrible and bleak. And this has been going on week after week after week, even on days that new jobless claims are released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics showing record unemployment claims week after week for the past 12 weeks or so since the coronavirus shutdowns began, Wall Street and its billionaires have kept pumping up the Dow and the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq. Yesterday, for example, the Nasdaq hit an all-time high. Not an all-time high since the initial crash of the coronavirus, but an all-time, all-time high. Which seems insane. We've reported, as we did earlier this week with Chuck Collins of the Institute for Policy Studies, how billionaire wealth has surged over these past 12 weeks by more than $500 billion since the virus 
essentially shut down the U.S. economy, and yet somehow billionaires got incredibly richer. How can that be? We've reported, along with uh, investigative financial journalist David Dayan of the American Prospect, how the Federal Reserve's $4.5 trillion money cannon, as he calls it, uh, was unleashed to help major corporations and that it has seemingly artificially floated the market and has even led to a spike in the share prices of companies that have filed for bankruptcy filed for bankruptcy, and yet their share prices had doubled during this crisis. Companies like Hertz and JCPenney. How the market versus the real economy has just seemed upside down for weeks as the Trump administration and his supporters have been pretending falsely that the economic devastation of the virus is, is somehow behind us. Everything's better. We're all open now. All is good. What virus? The trouble is that is not true. It just isn't it, it. You know, no matter how hard Republicans and their Wall Street allies continue to try and pretend this virus away so that Donald Trump can try to win reelection less than five months from now. But the, the thing is, the virus does not care whether they are pretending that the virus is gone. Virus gonna infect what the virus wants to infect. And we've got no cure for the virus. We've got no vaccine for the virus. And that is as true today as it was when the country saved itself for a hot five minutes and, and shut down hard back in mid-March. Now, the good news today, and I put the word good in quotes because it's decidedly bad news, is that maybe, just maybe, the market is beginning to figure out how off the rails it has been from the reality of what we are still going through in this country, whether whether we choose to pretend otherwise or not. Yes, new data today from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Statistics came out, as it does each week around this time. The Department of Labor reported on Thursday morning that more than one and a half million unemployment claims were filed in the week ending on June 6. The latest figure from the Labor Department marked what some could see if they really, really squinted and had visions of MAGA dancing through their brains as good news in that it was the 10th straight weekly decline in applications for jobless aid since they peaked in mid-March when the coronavirus hit hard. Nonetheless, even though it has been th that number has been declining each week, the all-time single-week record for new unemployment claims before the COVID crisis hit, going back since record-keeping on this program began in the 1950s, the all-time record was 695,000 in a single week. And this week, it was reported that there were 1.5 million. So if you really squint, you could see that as good news, even though it is more than twice the previous record. Yeah, but hey, a decline in catastrophe is still a catastrophe, but it is this a decline. This is a less of a catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, that is sort of good news. But yeah, even during the uh, Great Recession, we never cracked one million. And yet we've now done this for 12 weeks in a row, peaking at about six point nine million on the second or third week and then slowly moving down each week. 
but we remain at an all-time record high before the virus, as, as last week saw more than twice as many jobless claims as any week during the entire Great Recession back in uh, 2008. Just one in nine jobs that were lost in March and April have returned. Just one in nine, nearly 21 million people are officially classified as unemployed, but the real number is probably closer to 40 million people. The official numbers, for example, do not include those that the government said were erroneously categorized as employed in the May jobs report and those who lost jobs but did not start searching for new ones which is also a lot of millions of people. Thursday's report also shows that an additional 706,000 people applied for jobless benefits last week under a new program for self-employed and gig workers, making them eligible for aid for the first time. That alone, that number alone, 706,000, is larger than the all-time weekly pre-COVID record of jobless claims, but those numbers are not included uh, in the official count that was released. That, so those are not included in the 1.5, more than 1.5 million due to the way these numbers are historically tracked by the government. Now, in February, we now know that the economy fell into a deep recession. That, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is a group of economists, that they are the official arbiters of uh, when we are in a recession or not. The Federal Reserve estimated on Wednesday that the economy will shrink at least six and a half percent this year. That would be by far the deepest annual contraction on records dating back to World War II. Unemployment benefits are providing significant support for jobless Americans. That is good. Six times the previous record set in, uh, in, in 2010, just after the previous recession, the number of jobless people. This time, the benefits include an additional $600 a week from the federal government, thanks to the Democrats in Congress who fought for that. But that extra benefit will end at the end of July, July 31, and the Trump administration is opposing extending it at all, hoping to basically force Americans back to jobs where it is decidedly not safe to be working. Now, normally, over most of the past 12 weeks, when these uh, BLS, uh, Bureau of Labor St Statistics jobless numbers come out, the stock market improbably has been spiking each time, each week. But, and here is more of that qualified, quote, good news, on Thursday, the stock market decidedly did not do so. In fact, it behaved in a way that some of us back here in the real world might regard as quite appropriate to the terrible economic news indicated by the new unemployment numbers. Stocks fell sharply, very sharply on Wall Street on Thursday as coronavirus cases continue to increase, as AP reports, deflating recent optimism that the economy could quickly recover as lockdowns eased. The Dow sank more than 1,800 points and the S&P dropped 5.9% uh, or 6%, its worst day since mid-March when stocks had a number of harrowing falls as the virus lockdowns began. Now, I'm not happy about that. I'm not happy that the stock market uh, fell in and of itself, but I am happy that the market seems to be responding to reality 
rather than irrational exuberance based on these imaginary ideas promoted by the president and his lackeys and stooges that America is back, baby. AP notes uh, that uh, many market watchers have been saying that a scorching comeback in the market since late March was overdone and didn't reflect the dire state of the economy. Oh, do you think? (laughs) A day earlier, the uh, Federal Reserve injecting some reality into the mix, which could, by the way, get its chair Jerome Powell fired for daring to tell the truth. The Fed said that the road back to recovery would be very, very long. The selling on Wall Street gained momentum as the day went on. It comes as recent optimism that reopening of businesses would drive a relatively quick economic recovery fades amid rising coronavirus cases in many U.S. states and countries. Of course, just as we have been talking about for weeks on end on this program, as uh, the stock market and the president and Republicans around the country have thought that pretending their way out of this would somehow solve the problem. Apparently, it will not. The pullback marks a reversal for the market. It had rallied 44.5% between March and this Monday, a rate that many skeptics, raising my hand here, said was unsustainable and did not reflect the dire condition of the economy. Only a day ago, the Nasdaq closed above the 10,000-point mark for the first time. Now, of course, you know, I'm not cheering the fact that we are in trouble, that this economy is in trouble. But the fact that this market has been ridiculously uh, blowing up over the past several weeks means that folks in Congress think we don't have to do anything. means Donald Trump says, oh, we're done with any sort of uh, emergency relief programs. What? uh, Unemployment runs out at the end of July? Too bad. Those people need to go back to work then. But it apparently took some time for uh, Wall Street to notice or to care. But the signs were very, very clear uh, for weeks, frankly, as we've discussed on this show, but certainly clear earlier this week for those who cared to see them. Again, not happy about the market crashing, but I am happy that maybe some of us may find our way back to reality so that we can deal with the dangers that we are still very much dealing with and that are still very much real. So, uh, you know, had the market bothered to notice on Monday, as, you know, Wall Street has been busy ever since, at least until today, driving up the market, Washington Post reported on Monday that since the start of June, 14 states and Puerto Rico recorded their highest ever seven-day average of the coronavirus cases since the pandemic began. Those states include, pay attention in case you live in one or you have family that lives in one, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Florida, Kentucky, New Mexico, North Carolina, Mississippi, Oregon, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and Utah, all as of Monday, saw their highest ever seven-day average of new cases. This was reported on Monday, and yet it took until Thursday for the stock market to really understand what's going on here. On Monday, uh, The Washington Post said if the pandemic's first wave burned through the dense metro hubs such as New York City, Chicago and Detroit, the highest percentages of new cases are now coming from places with much smaller populations, including Lincoln County, Oregon. Hello, Lincoln County. Bear River Health District in northern Utah. 
The increase of coronavirus cases in counties with fewer than 60,000 people is part of a trend of new infections surging across rural U.S. You know, Trump country in many cases. Health experts worried that those areas which are already short of resources before the pandemic will now struggle to track new cases with the infrastructure that remains in those counties. Adding to the disparity in health care support, residents in states like Mississippi, Florida and South Carolina are living under only minor to moderate restrictions, even as their average daily infection rate is booming. The past two weeks of protests against police brutality will be yet another variable in how the virus spreads in the country. But it's not just in these rural areas, even setting the protests aside. It's not just the rural areas. It is entire states, particularly entire states that have eased restrictions far too early. So we, we mentioned uh, that report from The Washington Post on Monday. We didn't uh, have time to go into the details of that or of this report out of Texas that also came on Monday. This is one of the states that are seeing all-time record surges in, in not just cases, but in hospitalizations. And that's key because some of the rise in recorded infections could be due to an increase in testing, although most of the cases being reported here are cases where the uh, rise in the proportion of positive tests is on the increase. But some people think that these numbers are going up just because we're doing more testing. But if you keep your eyes on hospitalizations, that gives you a real sort of apples to apples idea of how the virus is actually growing and how it is spreading. So again, from Monday, The Hill reported that the week after Texas Governor Greg Abbott began easing social distancing restrictions, the state reported a record number of coronavirus hospitalizations across the state. The Texas Department of Health uh, Services reported 1,935 COVID-19 patients currently admitted to state hospitals as of Monday. That figure topped the previous record for coronavirus hospitalizations that had peaked at 1,888 patients back on May 5. Abbott took the lead among governors in relaxing coronavirus restrictions in an attempt to jumpstart the state's economy, the Hill reports. The, state, the state's stay-at-home order expired on April 30, and businesses were allowed, some of them, to reopen on May 1. A few days later, hospitalizations, boom, hit their record. And now, one month later, that record has been topped again. And that has continued to grow throughout the week in Texas. So hair salons, they were allowed to reopen back on May 8. Gyms and exercise facilities, non-essential manufacturing plants and office buildings have been reopened uh, at 25% capacity since mid-May. And what do you know? The number of cases is growing. The number of hospitalizations are growing. And on Wednesday, the New York Times reported that now 21 states are seeing cases on the rise. Almost half of the states in the country. 21 states, a number that was confirmed uh, by AP in its own analysis on Thursday. They write states are rolling back lockdowns, but the coronavirus is not done with the U.S. Cases are rising in nearly half the states. 
That, according to an Associated Press analysis, which they describe as a worrying trend that could intensify as people return to work and venture out during the summer. In Arizona, hospitals have been told to prepare for the worst. Texas has more hospitalized COVID-19 patients than at any time before. And the governor of North Carolina said recent jumps has caused him to rethink plans to reopen schools or businesses. In some cases, more testing, they say, has revealed more cases. But in others, local outbreaks are big enough to push statewide tallies higher. Experts cite lifting stay-at-home orders, school and business closures, and other restrictions that were put in place during the spring to stem the virus's spread as responsible for the new rise in 21 states. The infections dampened recent optimism that the reopening of businesses would drive a relatively quick economic recovery. Optimism by who? Not me. Oh, yeah, by the White House, who has an interest in lying to you about this. So, of course, they're optimistic. Of course, they're pretending to be optimistic. Here was Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Uh, Des, was this uh, today? On, this was um, today on CNBC. CNBC. I think now you're going to see... With the reopening, um, yes, you will see there's areas, but I think we'll deal with this in the appropriate way. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I would assume that means we're not going to shut down the economy again, in your opinion. We can't shut down the economy again. I, I think we've learned that if you shut down the economy, you're going to create more damage, and, and not just economic damage, but there are, there are other areas and we've talked about this of uh, medical problems and everything else that get put on hold. I think it was very prudent what the president did, but I think we've learned a lot. So we're going to get everybody back to work. We're going to get them back to work. Doesn't matter how many die. By the way, the other problems that he's talking about, problems with Donald Trump's reelection chances. Yeah. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, he really does want Americans to die so the yeah. rich can live. Yeah. Now, of course, this increase is not only happening here in the U.S., it's also happening globally. AP notes the world is now seeing more than 100,000 newly confirmed cases every single day. According to Johns Hopkins University, we are seeing about 1,000 dead Americans each and every day. 1,000 dead a day. From the virus, the uh, AP analyzed data that was compiled by the COVID tracking project and uh, they keep track of various testing data. The analysis found that in 21 states, as of Monday this week, the rolling seven-day average of new cases per capita was higher than the average seven days earlier. One concern is that large recent racial justice protests across the country could spark at least some spread of the virus. Another they note is that Donald Trump this week said he's planning to hold rallies that may draw thousands of people he will hold them in four states, Arizona, Florida, Oklahoma, and Texas, all of whom are on the list, all of whom are on the states with rising cases identified by the AP analysis. Now, as to what's driving the increases, AP looked at a few of these states. For example, Arizona. Uh, Republican Governor Doug Ducey ended Arizona's stay-at-home order on May 15, and he eased restrictions on businesses. 
When he did, residents flooded Phoenix area bar districts, ignoring social distancing guidelines. The state began then to see a new surge, a surge of new cases and hospitalizations just about 10 days later, just like clockwork. Will Humble, the executive director of Arizona Public Health Association, said, quote, it seems pretty clear to me that what we're seeing is directly related to the end of the stay at home order. It wasn't just that the order ended. There were no requirements when they did end to wear face masks. No major increases in contact tracing to spot and stop evolving outbreaks and no scale up of infection control at nursing homes, according to Humble. So, you know, all the things that the CDC and even the White House had advised before places reopened. They said in order to reopen, you have to make sure that you have these things in place like uh, test, more testing, more contact tracing. Arizona did none of those things. Pretty much nobody has done none of those things. Governor Ducey in Arizona, he didn't give a damn. He made his announcement about reopening on the same uh, day that Trump came out to Arizona. What was it for a, fo a photo op for it? As was that that the mask plant or something yeah, that it was in Arizona, as I recall, where Trump didn't wear a mask? Yeah. Testing has been increasing in Arizona, which raises the chances of finding new cases. But the proportion of tests coming back positive has also been on the rise. So it is not just the increase in testing. AP found Arizona had a rolling average of fewer than 400 new cases a day at the time the shutdown was lifted, but it shot up just two weeks later and surpassed the 1,000 new cases a day by early this week. Hospitalizations, remember, that's probably your best, easiest to understand indicator of the rise in cases. Hospitalizations have also risen dramatically, hitting the 1,200 mark Last week, 1,200 new hospitalizations. Hospitals reported that they are now at about 83% of capacity, at least as of Tuesday. That could force cancellations of elective surgeries. As health officials in the state's two largest counties, Maricopa, which is Phoenix, and uh, Pima County, which is Tucson, have said that they are out or nearly out of ICU bed capacity in many hospitals in the counties. So, by the way, the cancellations of elective surgeries, some of those elective surgeries end up keeping people alive. And as Steve Mnuchin was talking there about how, oh, we found that the lockdowns cause other problems. And it's true. Uh, some people may be afraid to go to the hospital uh, during the lockdown if they're feeling chest pains. They may end up dying of a heart attack that they did not need to die of. But also, when hospitals are full up, when these epidemics, uh, you know, go into high gear, uh, into crisis mode, as they did in, uh, in the New York area, New York, New Jersey and so forth. Well, that means that we end up canceling elective surgeries that, yes, do end up keeping people alive. So doing nothing and allowing the virus to spread the way these jackasses in states like Arizona are willing to do. Yes, that is also going to kill people. But you know what? That's not really what Mnuchin was talking about. He was talking about Donald Trump's reelection chances being harmed. Yeah, it's true. When hospitals are overwhelmed, elective surgeries are going to be canceled because they can't handle it. In North Carolina on Saturday, the state recorded its highest single day increase in cases with one thousand three hundred and seventy 
Testing has grown in the last two weeks, but so has the rate of tests that are coming back positive. North Carolina's top health official, Mandy Cohen, who, along with Democratic Governor Roy Cooper, has urged the public to take precautions to protect themselves, said, quote, these trends move moving in the wrong direction is a signal we need to take very seriously. And, of course, North Carolina is the state that Donald Trump is busy pulling his uh, uh, Republican National Convention out of because Roy Cooper would not agree to allow thousands and thousands of people to be neck to neck, shoulder to shoulder inside the, the stadium so Donald Trump can have his uh, coronation or whatever the hell it is. Thank you, Governor Cooper, for standing tough on that and not allowing that to happen. Good riddance. Of course, that means they're moving to Jacksonville, Florida, reportedly, to uh, look to have their convention, which is not good for the people of Jacksonville, nor is it good for all of the people who are going to go to Jacksonville or wherever the convention is and then come home and make their families sick and contaminate the rest of the other states as well. Meanwhile, in North Carolina, some state residents, they're not on board. AP reports <clears throat> Jason Denton, an electrician from Greensville, he said, I think we should start opening stuff a little bit more. He said one of his main concerns was getting to the gym. That's like my therapy, he said. Actually, Jason, your therapy could be uh, coming from a ventilator. But, you know, you go get cut, Jason, at the gym. That's the important thing, no matter who dies, because you need to get to that gym. In Texas... We got updated numbers there since Monday. A uh, few states, AP notes, have been rebooting faster than Texas, where hospitalizations surged past 2,100 on Wednesday. That for the first time during the pandemic. Remember, it was a record earlier in the week when they hit 1,800. Now we're over 2,100 as of Wednesday. That's a 42% increase in patients since Memorial Day weekend when beachgoers swarmed the coastline and a water park near Houston had opened to big crowds. Texas's percentages of tests coming back positive has also jumped to levels that are among the highest in the nation. They're, well, not number one, but they're close to it. Working on it. Governor Abbott, who recently himself began wearing a mask in public, only recently, he's shown no intention of pumping the brakes on uh, reopening a state where protesters back in May had pressured him to speed up the timeline on getting hair salons back in business. Because, boy, in Texas, do they have their priorities straight. Those hair helmets are not just going to build themselves, I guess, down there in Dallas. Uh, on Friday, uh, this Friday, Texas is set to lift even more restrictions and let restaurant dining rooms reopen at nearly full capacity. I see the look on your face, Desi Doyen. I suspect you're thinking of some of your family back there in Texas. Uh, these kind of numbers... And Governor Abbott is opening to near full capacity at restaurants? Seriously? In Alabama, also rising, particularly in the state capital of Montgomery, State Health Officer Scott Harris says, I think reopening the economy gave a lot of people the wrong impression that, hey, everything's fine, let's get back to normal. Clearly, he said, it is not that way. Really, now, more than ever, we need to 
people to stay six feet apart, wear face coverings, and wash their hands. Montgomery Hospital intensive care units are as busy as they are during the flu season. Dr. David Thrasher, director of respiratory therapy at Jackson Hospital, said in a statement, quote, I can assure you that Montgomery's cases are not going down. And if our community does not take this seriously, the virus will continue to spread. And at some point, our medical capacity will reach its limit. Arkansas has also seen increases in cases, uh, hospitalizations and in the percentages of testing coming back positive. Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson on Wednesday, however, said the state will move into a new phase of reopening starting on Monday. So none of this is good news. And I'm sorry for that. I I don't like to come on here and offer bad news day after day. But maybe, just maybe, if I help folks understand the reality versus the BS that they are getting from the president and his people and the media outlets who are reporting his BS and your friends and your family who are passing on all of that BS and the stock market, which maybe, just maybe, is starting to see through the BS a little bit, well, maybe it'll help save a few lives along the way. I don't know. There's a lot of other stuff I would much rather cover, frankly, but I have been just gobsmacked by the way that the the market, the stock market, seems to be driving the, the coverage of the virus rather than the other way around. And how all of it just happens to play perfectly into Donald Trump's desperate re-election hopes. So, you know, <clears throat> reality uh, sucks right now. Yeah, at least in this regard. But if we do not start getting back in touch with reality, our reality is going to be much, much worse than it is right now and much worse than many of us even imagine. David Dayen uh, at The Prospect reports today that AMC, the movie chain, plans to reopen almost all of its theaters next month. The level of the outbreak in a particular state seems to not be playing a role in that decision. Restaurants and retail shops and dental offices are engaged in modified openings. Mobility is up by about 20 percent. And uh, the results are trickling in. Tesla workers forced back into uh, Elon Musk's revolutionary reopening fantasy are starting now to test positive. Apparently, Dan writes, we've decided that it's worth dying to live normally. We decided that with we decided that with access to guns, we've decided that now with coronavirus, the White House decided it a long time ago. And now the rest of us have taken our cues. He says what we know about this virus is that we don't know everything or even very much. But our actions, regardless of our intentions, signal that we do not care about our friends or families or ourselves. I hope he's wrong. I fear he's not. Take a quick break and we're back with more maybe upbeat news, sort of. I'll see what I can do. Then we've got a green news report, which is always upbeat. (laughs) I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. (laughs) 
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Back to life, back to reality, back to life, back to reality, back to life, back to well, reality. I don't know if it's back to reality, <laughs> but a little bit, a little bit more reality, at least out of the stock market, at least for these uh, hot five minutes. We'll We'll see what happens next. Yeah, we'll see how long it lasts. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, All right, some slightly, and I say, you know, slightly better news, but we get what we, we take what we can get here. There appears to be at least one person who does work for Donald Trump's administration, sort of, who is able to stay in touch with reality, sort of, and recognize when he, yes, has been used by this president as a prop to boost Donald Trump's re-election chances. Army General Mark Milley, Trump's chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff on Thursday, expressed remorse for accompanying Donald Trump and his walk to St. John's Episcopal Church with the president ahead of his obnoxious photo op last week with a Bible After Trump had ordered peaceful protesters to be gassed and beaten out of his way in Lafayette Park across the street from the White House, in pre-recorded remarks to a National Defense University commencement ceremony released on Thursday morning, Milley acknowledged the, quote, national debate that ensued following his appearance with Trump and other administration officials at Lafayette Park and essentially apologized for having taken part in that circus. Many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last week. That sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics. As a commissioned uniformed officer, it was a mistake that I have learned from, and I sincerely hope we all can learn from it. We who wear the cloth of our nation come from the people of our nation. And we must hold dear the principle of an apolitical military that is so deeply rooted in the very essence of our republic. And this is not easy. It takes time and work and effort. But it may be the most important thing each and every one of us does every single day. Has he been fired yet? Nope. Just asking. (laughs) That was uh, General Mark Milley, a mistake that I learned from. When was the last time you heard that from anybody, anybody who works for Donald Trump? So um, good for him. Good for General Milley. I'm sure he will be fired along with Defense Secretary Mark Esper, who also, since that uh, obnoxious photo op, has contradict has dared to contradict the president and uh, reportedly uh, had to be kept from being fired by uh, people who work at the White House who thought it wasn't a good look. Yeah, you think? 
The day after that uh, photo op, as as we discussed with veteran military journalist uh, Lucian Truscott earlier this week, Milley, uh, General Milley sent a memo to the heads of all the branches of all the of all the military. A memo was leaked, and in it he extolled the necessity of the military to defend the Constitution and the values embedded within it. That was the only thing, by the way, that it said. It was not a, a memo about something else that he threw these lines into. It was only about defending the Constitution and the values embedded within it. He added a handwritten addendum at the end of that memo, reminding all of the military chiefs, quote, we all committed our lives to the idea that is America. We will stay true to that oath and the American people. In other words, to the Constitution and the people, not to the president and his reelection whims. Milley's remarks uh, was his first direct response, the, the videotape remarks, his first direct response to the backlash that ensued after Trump's surprise church photo op, awkwardly holding up a Bible in front of the church while standing alongside several members of the administration. It was staged after Trump was reportedly upset that word got out that he had been cowering in a White House bunker during protests in Lafayette Park over the weekend following the killing of George Floyd. Uh, Not long after, Trump demanded that governors dominate protesters by activating the National Guard to quell the violence that had broken out during some of those protests. Protesters took things into their own hands, however, in and uh, and near the district on Wednesday night, just hours after Trump had said that he would, quote, not even consider renaming U.S. military bases named after Confederate generals like Fort Bragg or Fort Benning. Yes, those were named after actual traitors to the U.S. who waged war against the U.S., in, in, in trying to demand the preservation of slavery in this country. But Trump will not even consider changing their names. That, even though Trump's own military leaders said that they were quite open to the idea, and a number of other uh, retired generals actually came out in support of that idea. But protesters are now taking matters into their own hands, and I'm happy to see it. Protesters pulled down a century-old statue of Confederate President Jefferson Davis in Richmond, Virginia, the former capital of the Confederacy, on Wednesday night, adding it to the list of Old South monuments removed or damaged around the U.S. in the wake of George Floyd's death. Yes, there was a statue of Confederate President Jefferson Davis still standing. It was not, by the way, erected uh, when he was president of the Confederacy. It was erected decades later and still stood there as a reminder to everyone who walked by it that, you know, he thought people should be enslaved in this country and apparently a reminder that the uh, public officials uh, who could could have taken down that statue long ago, that they're just fine with that reminder every day. Yeah, that wallpaper of people who attacked the United States, killed their fellow Americans, and all for the perpetuation of human bondage. Eight foot, uh, it was an eight-foot bronze figure on Richmond's Grand Monument Avenue had been all but marked for removal by city leaders in a matter of months, but demonstrators took matters into their own hands Wednesday night, tying ropes around its legs and toppling it from its stone pedestal onto the pavement. 
in the American tradition, I should add, the American tradition of tearing down monuments of oppressors. Am I right, George W. Bush and Saddam Hussein? A crowd cheered and police looked on as the monument installed by a Confederate heritage group in 1907. That's key. As it was uh, towed away. There were no reports of any arrests, and it came on the same day that NASCAR banned Confederate flags at their races. In the weeks since Floyd's death, many Confederate monuments have been damaged or taken down, some toppled by demonstrators, others removed by local authorities. Authorities in Alabama got rid of a massive obelisk in Birmingham and a bronze likeness of a Confederate naval officer in Mobile. The United Daughters of the Confederacy took down a statue in Alexandria. Good for them. Really? The Davis Monument was uh, a few blocks away from a 12-ton, 61-foot-high equestrian statue of the most revered Confederate of them all. That would be General Robert E. Lee that the state of Virginia is trying to take down. Democratic Governor Ralph Northam last week ordered its removal, but a judge on Monday has blocked the action for at least 10 days. The spokesperson uh, for the Virginia Division of the Sons of Confederate Veterans, B. Frank Ernest, yes, B. Ernest, condemned the toppling of, quote, public works of art and likened losing, uh, losing the Confederate statues, statues to losing a family member. He said the men who served under Robert E. Lee were my great-grandfathers or their brothers and their cousins, so it is my family. What if a crowd of any other group went and found the symbols of someone they didn't like and decided to tear them down? Everybody would be appalled. Really? Be frank, Ernest? Really? Should we have left the statues of Hitler all over Germany after World War II? Did you complain when the CIA helped pull down the, st the, the statue of Saddam Hussein after we invaded that country in 2003? He added, I don't know why it's acceptable, why people who are descended from the Confederate Army and the Confederate soldiers, it's, it's accepted in this country that you, you can do anything to us that you want. But you are not the statue of the traitorous general, you jackass. We're not tearing you down. We're tearing down the statue. And by the way, not even a statue of your great-grandfather or whatever it is, or his brothers or his cousins. We're tearing down the statue of the guy uh, who commanded them. You jackass. At the monument uh, site on Thursday, Stacy Burrs, a black man who served on a mayoral commission a few years ago that recommended taking down the statue, said it should have been taken. Uh, it should not have taken this long to get to where it is now. He said, if it were me, this whole thing would just be raised. Longtime Richmond resident Karen Ms. Rock, who is white, suggested replacing the statues along Monument Avenue with fountains and gardens or parks, saying it's ridiculous that these monuments are such a focal point of the city. Also on Wednesday night, protesters in Portsmouth, Virginia, about 80 miles away, they knocked the heads off of the statues of four Confederates and pulled one of them to the ground after the city council scheduled a hearing on the monument's fate for the end of July. You know, take your time, have commissions, have hearings. We'll talk about it. We'll deal with this down the road. 
James Boyd, the Portsmouth NAACP chapter president, said that people are just tired of being sick and tired and that the monument represents more than 400 years of oppression. On Tuesday, protesters in Richmond tore down a statue of Columbus, set it on fire, and pitched it into the lake. Supporters of Confederate monuments have argued that they are important reminders of history, while opponents contend they glorify those who made war against the U.S. in order to preserve slavery. Yes, they are reminders of a terrible history, a history of oppression and slavery. Statues erected uh, that were the, the Davis Monument and many others across the South were erected decades after the Civil War many of them during the Jim Crow era. That's like a century after the Civil War, damn near, when, when states were imposing tough new segregation laws. Now, I have to say, I've been uh, sort of, uh, and still am, of, of two minds about these statues. They are, after all, works of art. And I do not like to see any art destroyed, even offensive art. But the fact of the matter is, they should have been removed long ago. We have been having these discussions for years now, even on this show. They have, should have been removed, placed into a, a museum or something where they could be seen in appropriate context. Not out in the middle of the public square every day, towering over the peoples that they had oppressed for so long. I can't even imagine... As a uh, for me, as a Jewish person, I can't even imagine having to go to work every day and see a huge statue to Hitler in the middle of the street. Are you kidding me? We've been discussing this now for years. Enough is enough. If the public officials elected to do the right thing will not do the right thing, then I'm very happy, very happy to see we, the people, doing the right thing. The officials, they had their chance. Now the people have theirs. Tear them all down. There's a bit more reality for you. Green News Report is up next. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. That's more than enough indignant ranting from me for one day, I should say. A ranty day today. Yeah. Now, now it's your turn, Desi Doyen. Okie doke. In our latest Green News Report. You can't get around solutions, real solutions, without talking about justice and equity. Major environmental organizations embrace racial justice after the killing of George Floyd. Communities of color disproportionately at risk from climate change impact. Britain has gone coal-free for two straight months. Plus, a neighborhood in Palm Beach Gardens is 
overrun with thousands of poisonous toads. Step aside, murder hornets. Get ready for the poisonous giant toxic toad invasion. <laughs> All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Put your toast down, folks. Thousands of toxic toads are taking over one South Florida community. Oh my God. Global pandemic, plagues of locusts, murder hornets, and now giant toxic toads? What's happening? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, from my Passover services, I do recall that toads were one of the ten plagues. Along with plagues of locusts and everything else. Oh, I know. And I bet you didn't have poisonous toxic toad invasion on your apocalypse bingo card. No, I guess I didn't. In South Florida, ecologists are warning that an unusually warm and rainy spring has created perfect conditions for a population boom of poisonous giant cane toads, also known as bufo toads. They're an invasive... What kind of toads? Bufo toads. Okay. They're an invasive species introduced in Florida in the 1930s with skin that contains enough poison to kill large dogs. Cane toads damage entire ecosystems, crowding out native species, and have become a serious problem in Australia. So the more warm and wet weather we have, the more bufo giant toxic toads we're going to have. Right. So, yeah, I guess it is another climate change story. In other news, as demonstrations in the U.S. and around the world continue against systemic racism in reaction to the police killing of George Floyd, major environmental organizations are examining the lack of diversity in their own overwhelmingly white staff and membership. The Sierra Club, Natural Resources Defense Council, and other big green groups over just the last few weeks have committed to racial justice as inextricably linked to environmental justice and climate action. Good. The Sierra Club this week published an article titled Racism is Killing the Planet, saying, quote, the ideology of white supremacy leads the way toward disposable people and a disposable natural world. And, quote, you can't have climate change without sacrifice zones, and you can't have sacrifice zones without disposable people, and you can't have disposable people without racism. You have been reporting for years that it is minority communities in the U.S. and, of course, around the world who are most affected by pollution by climate change, at least they are the first and worst affected. Exactly. And environmental racial disparities are borne out by data that shows minority communities disproportionately bear the brunt of industrial air pollution. According to the Trump EPA's own data, Americans of color are subjected to far higher levels of air pollution than white Americans, regardless of their wealth. Oh, well, I'm sure that Trump's EPA will take action on that right away. Also, a new analysis of federal data confirms that communities of color and low-income neighborhoods are also disproportionately exposed to the impacts of man-made global warming. The Centers for Disease Control keeps a list of the top 10 U.S. counties most vulnerable to extreme weather disasters, and the new analysis shows that the population of the most vulnerable counties is, on average, 81 percent minority. The top 10 counties most vulnerable to extreme heat are 61 percent minority. Which county is the top? 
For natural disasters, Texas takes the top three counties. Of course. And for extreme heat, counties in Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, and Georgia take the top four. Dr. Robert Bullard, known as the father of the environmental justice movement, in a recent PBS NewsHour interview said that successfully solving climate change and environmental justice requires addressing racial justice. You can't get around solutions, real solutions, without talking about justice and equity. Which communities uh, are vulnerable, which communities have contributed least to the crisis, but are feeling the pain right now, first, worst, and longest. How can we make sure that our plans do not further marginalize already vulnerable populations by creating plans that somehow uh, exacerbate that vulnerability and create more problems for that, that, quote, invisible group, the group that may not necessarily be in the room when they're deciding uh, what to build and, and where to spend monies. Uh, that's the justice part. Finally, the BBC reports that the nation of Britain has now gone a full two months without burning coal for electricity for the first time since the 1880s. In 2020, renewables have generated more power in Britain than all fossil fuel sources combined. The UK now has the biggest offshore wind industry in the world, part of the dramatic transformation of its energy system over just 10 years. It's another example of what can be achieved when, you know, we try. Yeah, but... Charles Dickens would have had nothing at all to write about. True. For much more on all of these stories and the many we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah. We gotta try. <laughs> well, you know, you don't get there if you don't try. We gotta succeed, is what we gotta do. Well, you yeah, know? but you can't succeed until you try. Uh, there's w- one thing that I've been thinking about for the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, you know, this is, I think, when we look back on this era, there was a, a report a few days ago that some 500 million people were saved due to lockdown restrictions. Right, 500 people who did not die. 500 million Million. people who did not die because of the action that we took. Mm -hmm. The uh, action that people are taking uh, since the death of uh, George Floyd, risking their lives to speak out, to protest, that is having profound changes. We are seeing reforms in policing. We're seeing reforms, as you note, uh, among the environmental community. Right. Once again, that is due to to we the people. Um, and we're seeing it in, in elections as people risk their lives to try to to try to be heard. Uh, you know, I think as as much as we focus on Donald Trump, when we're a few decades down the road, we may look back on this era and see how we the people uh, kept this thing going and kept everything from collapsing even worse than it seems like it has. From your mouth to God's ears. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's Bradcast and its various rants, you can download them and all the other Bradcasts anytime at bradblog.com. Our program is made possible only by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to keep us up and on your public airwaves. Thank you. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and you'll find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah.